The Durable Restoration Company is a proud sponsor of Berguin Wright Presents. At Durable Restoration, they specialize in exterior historic restoration services. All of their craftspeople and artisans are employees and trained in-house using traditional materials, tools, and techniques that are tried and true. They have a long list of historic landmarks across the nation that they are proud to have helped preserve for future generations. For all your upcoming restoration needs, contact Durable Restoration at DurableRestoration.com or call toll-free at 1-877-340-9182. There's nothing quite like a drive from one end of North Carolina to the other. Seriously, in just a matter of hours, you can experience unmatched views of both the ocean and the mountains without ever crossing a state line. If you start in Wilmington, you'll begin your journey with your toes in the sands of a majestic coastline, which would have been the first bit of American soil many Scottish Highlanders saw when they immigrated here in the 1700s. Head west, and you'll soon start your ascent up the Blue Ridge Mountains, where thick forest coated in a signature blue haze stretches for as far as the eye can see. It was here that those Highlanders found a comforting, if not comparable, substitute for the ancestral lands they were forced to leave behind in Scotland. It's no wonder, then, that in Diana Gabaldon's book series, Outlander, her characters, Jamie and Claire Frazier, settled in North Carolina, despite the danger that undoubtedly awaited them in the final years of British rule over the colonies. Whether they were visiting the waterfront Cape Fear region or building a home on Frazier's Ridge in the mountains, the Frasers were constantly surrounded by North Carolina's natural beauty, the kind that even war and unrest can't taint. Now, whether you make that journey in a car today or were among those who did it by horse and carriage nearly three centuries ago, the fact remains the same. There's no place like the Tar Heel State. Hello and welcome to a very special episode of Bergwin Wright Presents Outlander in the Cape Fear, a podcast series telling the stories of North Carolina's Cape Fear region through the history of one of its oldest historic sites. My name is Hunter Ingram. I'm the Assistant Museum Director for the Bergwin Wright House and Gardens in Wilmington, and I'm your host for this podcast. This season on Bergwin Wright Presents, we're exploring the real North Carolina history depicted in the global phenomenon that is Outlander, the historical fiction book series from author Diana Gabaldon, and the Stars series that adapted it for television. The story follows Claire, a World War II nurse who time travels back to 1743 Scotland, 
where she meets and eventually marries a devoted Highlander named Jamie. Together, the pair land in the American colonies, and specifically North Carolina, on the eve of the Revolutionary War, and soon find themselves to be players in the founding of a country. Today, I'm thrilled to bring you a conversation that I had with none other than Matthew Roberts, the showrunner, writer, and executive producer of the Outlander series on Stars. As the long-awaited sixth season of the show begins to air on TV, Matthew took time to talk with us about what we specialize in on this podcast, the intersection of the fact and the fiction, the real North Carolina, and the one the Frasers call home. In the interview you're about to hear, Matthew shares the memories of his own journey across North Carolina to research the character and identity that he and the series' cast and crew were challenged with recreating on their Scotland set, starting with season four. He also spoke about the painstaking process of deciding what historical moments from Gabaldon's series will make the jump from page to screen, and what fans might see in the coming weeks and seasons. At the Bergwin Wright House and on this podcast, we love sharing history with all of our listeners, no matter what path brought you here. And there is a valuable conversation to be had about how that history is thoughtfully brought to new audiences through stories like Outlander. So we hope you enjoy this episode of Bergwin Wright Presents Outlander in the Cape Fear. Episode 3, A Conversation with Outlander showrunner, writer, and executive producer, Matthew Roberts. Matt, thank you so much for being on the show today. I'm happy to be here. First and foremost, I want to congratulate you on season six, getting to put it out into the world. I know that it's been uh, a long time coming for you and everyone who works on it. You had some pretty unprecedented circumstances to make it in, and it's been a long time for everyone waiting. So what's it been like to kind of put this new chapter out into the world? I'll, I'll tell you, I this has been a really, really long time and, and just you know, for the whole world to struggle through the last couple of years. Um, it was daunting for the whole world. So we know we're not special in, in, in that, uh, you know, we were revved up, we had scripts ready to go, and then the pandemic hit. And then we had to sit back and look at our scripts and go, hey, we are not changing Outlander for a pandemic. You know, there were a lot of shows that were able to do that. You know, you can have an action show and you can separate people, but Outlander lives and breathes in its, you know, emotional and intimate uh, moments. And we just didn't want to change it. So we, we decided to wait. And that's really what, what why the, the show, uh, the Droughtlander took, you know, almost two years before we got it out. So for me, and I have a saying, and I, I say this in the writer's room and in post, you know, an episode isn't done until the audience gets to see it. And that is uh, how I feel. So when it finally got out uh, on Sunday, um, I was so happy that it was episode one was finally finished and uh, and out there. So, well, that's exciting. I mean, obviously, so much goes into this dealing with with a story that's already there and, and so much expectation. Uh, now, on this podcast, we have fun and, and talk about all the North Carolina history that the Frasers are living through. 
And, yeah. uh, and I know that Diana has really set out a nice map and, and had done the legwork for you to weave that history into the story. But I'm curious, just on the creative side of, of the show, do you do your own research to kind of get to know this history so that you can best put it on screen? Or do you trust in those words that, that she's given you? Uh, a little of both. So I definitely trust Diana's words for sure that, you know, she does, you know, she's researched these books, you know, up and down and cross and sideways. But um, I, you know, back in the day when we were moving, when the story was moving to North Carolina, I flew into Atlanta and rented a car and drove all the way from Wilmington all the way to the the Blue Ridge and 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 back again and I wanted to see what North Carolina looked like. I wanted to feel what it felt like to be there and I went to Cherokee, um, North Carolina and spent time there because I know that was the the area and, and we were going to be, you know, really delving into uh that those storylines but they went to the the you know the the low country and the Piedmont and, and I just kind of covered North Carolina and walked the walk because you can't really write about something I don't think in and and not be there um, and see it for yourself. Now that being said, I know a lot of uh, you know Diana wrote the first book with never setting foot in Scotland and what an amazing job she did because she started a phenomenon with people falling in love with Scotland and she didn't even go and she's been there multiple times since, but. You know, so I felt like for me, I needed to actually see it and feel it and go and, and stand on the, the, those battlegrounds and, and, and historical sites just for my own edification. And you probably moved across the state a lot faster than the Frasers would have in the 1700s. So. I, I, I was going to go at the same pace just to experience it, but I had people in my life saying I couldn't be gone that long. But I will say... I went in the, in the, in the fall and it was gorgeous, you know, just the, all the leaves are just kind of falling, but it was really pretty and cool. It, it was a great, it was really a great trip. Well, on the flip side of that, what was it like then creating this very intimate North Carolina story in Scotland? Did it help to pull some of that imagery to you as you're, as you're starting to, to really dig into this next part of Diana's story. Well, absolutely. I mean, one of the other reasons I, I went is to take photos and I wanted to photograph and walk the walk and then bring it back and say, we have a saying in, in that Scotland is a character. She plays a lot of parts for us. And we wanted, we wanted to know if she could play North Carolina. And we realized she could when we started to compare certain locations with what Scotland looked like and what North Carolina looked like. And I was in the Blue Ridge standing in kind of a meadow and looking out, uh, looking up at, at some of the, the ridges and some, and then down into the gaps. And then there's a place um, that we film um, where the big house is. And it very much feels exactly like that spot when we found it. And that's the kind of thing that you can do. And, and then we often use stock footage to, accentuate so we don't we don't have the blue ridge in scotland so we use stock footage and then we create that blue mist that's so iconic with visual effects and certain things like that so to really give you the feeling that you're in north carolina and and the feedback you know from the, the folks in north carolina i think have, has been pretty positive and hey you're you're doing a pretty good job faking it and um and that always makes me feel good. So one of our executives from Stars is born and raised in North Carolina, and she's our go-to. We say, you know, hey, how does this look? And you know, 
she'll tell us when we aren't getting it right. That's for sure. So I find a nice symmetry in the fact that you're looking for the similarities in North Carolina and Scotland. And that's what real Scottish Highlanders would have done. They would have tried to find a place that was similar to the home they've just left. And the mountains certainly help replicate that. So uh, I think there's a nice symmetry there in, in doing it, you know, 250 some years later. And, you know, I, I found on my trip that there's more Scots in the United States and Canada than there are in actually Scotland. And the Tartan Museum, of all places, you would think would be in Scotland, but it's not. It's in North Carolina. And, and one of the biggest Highland games in the world is in uh, North Carolina. So I think there's so much Scottish history in North Carolina that these the, the Scots who came over and they built their homes and they, they, they really kept a lot of the culture as well. Now, was there ever a moment when you're trying to, you know, staring down the barrel of this really big change for the story that you thought about shooting it in North Carolina? Was there ever that opportunity? Or I know that you all were very loyal to Scotland. So did that kind of ground you there for even this next chapter? You know, we did. We, we, we thought, okay, hey, what would, what would that move be like? Because essentially you're moving an entire production. And there's the teardown and then there's the rebuild. And then, the, you know, with my trip to North Carolina to see if Scotland could portray North Carolina, we realized it really could. And with the way, you know, filming works and timing and budgets, the amount of time and money to dismantle and rebuild, and it would have made Droughtlander probably unpalatable for some of our fans. So uh, we made the determined to stay in Scotland and, and I determination. And I think it, it worked out really well in, in, for what we're, we get to put on screen. You know, in hindsight, all history seems important. And I, I think that Claire and, and Roger and Brianna, they all understand what is important in these episodes that you're in now. But how do you as, as the creative team kind of decide what needs to make the jump from the page to the screen? Because Diana's books are, are huge. I mean, they're very dense. They have just about everything that you might see in North Carolina here during the colonial period. And so how do you decide what fans are going to see in this sixth season? And then obviously in the, in the seventh and, and onward, because you're still here. Yeah. Um, it's a challenge. There's a lot of debate there, you know, every, you know, with Diana's books, you, you know, everybody has a favorite part and it's not necessarily a consensus all the time. You know, I could love a scene and someone else could love a different scene and, and we'll go, how do, how do we make that work? Some scenes are inherently bigger than others. And, and, and we have to have a, one of the big things is, do we have that actor to play that character in this storyline? Sometimes availability um, we just don't have the availability of the people. And Diana has, this is you know, one of the things I say, Diana has every set, every character, every location at her fingertips. And she has no budget. She can write 10,000 people, storm the castle. You know, that's not a spoiler. There are no castles anymore. Um, well, at least not in this particular storyline. But in, in that, that sense, we have to go, oh, no, we would have to get 10,000 people. We would have to put costumes on those 10,000 people. So if you remember the way we did Culloden is we took an enormous battle of what amounted to, you know, seven, eight, nine thousand people. And we fragmented into Jamie's thoughts and we 
we made we we took about 250 people instead of you know that 9000 and we made that work and you know i thought it was it was a clever way to bring that to the audience because what we also found over the course of trial and error is our fans like to emote with Jamie and Claire and Roger and Bree and Marceline and Fergus. The action sequences sometimes that we early on spent a lot of time filming never really made it to screen because it took away the time for our characters to be together. So what what I've learned over the course is, hey, I want to spend more time with Jamie and Claire and Roger and Bree and less time on the battlefield. So um, we had to make some determinations. If a battle moves the character, then we put it in. If it's just plot and it's just moving the plot, then we might not use it, if that makes sense. So when you were on your trip to North Carolina, did you walk on these battlefields like Alamance and, and Morse Creek that's in the book? And think about the human element, because that's ultimately what you're serving in this story and, and how you might tell it through the people and through your characters. Yeah, we, you know, I, I tried to, you know, go to as many places that were in the book as possible. And, you know, walking Alamance or walking Culloden or walking, you know, you know, Sterling when I was up there. And it, it's not in the book, but it's it's a definitely a battlefield. And you, you, you start to think about the moment someone died in this spot where you're standing and it does have a profound effect on you when you're trying to tell you know that story or you're putting it bringing it to screen and those are the things so when we did alamance it was really important to portray it as best we possibly could and we're never going to get it right we're never going to get it exactly right because there's going to be some of that didn't happen or that's not the way it happened and we know that because we're not a documentary. We were trying to bring the feelings into the battle. And and that was what was important to us because we're never going to be able to replicate those things the way they actually were because we couldn't we can't build a, you know, we can't build a bridge just for the sake of of filming because, you know, look, building bridges take a lot of time and effort. And um and getting, you know, a thousand people to fight, that's that's you know, physically impossible for us. So we always have to weigh that, you know, we got, we got things coming up in season seven, you know, maybe a spoiler, but there's a lot of big battles coming up in season seven. And we have to figure out how we can do that because we're certainly not going to be able to recreate all these battles in just one season. Well, yeah, I mean, the, the American revolution is going to offer you a lot of opportunities for that, but I guess the challenge, as you're saying is, is to find out how that helps your particular character stories. I mean, it, it helped this country, it furthered this country, it is a forward momentum, whether it's character based or, you know, globally, but it's a, um, it's a tricky battle. I, I'm, I'm curious, though, what's it been like to hear how the show and, and obviously the books over time have driven people to North Carolina historic sites similar to the, you know, the, the impact it's had in Scotland and, and their locations? You know, it took us a while to figure out that, you know, when we first arrived on, on, in Scotland and we were trying, we were going to try to find locations, um, you know, no one knew the show. No one knew what we were talking about. You know, there wasn't, you know, resistance. It was just like, hey, you know, we don't know what, who you are. And then as, as we, we started to become um, more well-known, 
the arms started opening up, which was really cool. And we have this outlander effect, which is also really cool. I mean, some of these sites that, that have gone from, you know, a trickle of people coming into to Dune or Blackness, and then, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people now, um, even thousands, which is great. And, and if that could bring people to the history of Scotland, great. And also North Carolina, I think that, that there's so much that, you know, that people even in Scotland, when we were there, a lot of our crew would go, oh, I've never been here before. And, you know, I don't think Scotland's much bigger than North Carolina, to tell you the truth. And you feel like, hey, there's probably a lot of people that haven't spent a lot of time in the Blue Ridge or the Piedmont or gone out to the Outer Banks and seen Ocracoke. And, you know, I mean, some of these places are stunningly beautiful, but also, you know, you think, oh, wow, man, the first people that set foot in America of, you know, from Europe, set foot in these areas. And, and you know, they, they, the Scots that were um, indentured and brought over, this is the, where they landed. This is where they set foot, you know, off at Wilmington. And some of that stuff is really cool if, if you can get people there to go and visit rather than people from without. You know, it's, it's the North Carolinians who, who haven't seen all these places that you that they get interested in their own state. You know, it, it's, it's amazing that that's actually helped the Scots see a lot of the places in Scotland too. So um, it's not, you know, I, I think uh, North Carolina, one of the most beautiful states I've been to, I've been all, to, to quite a few and driving the Blue Ridge. I was like, wow, my God, this is, you know, how more people don't know about this. It's, it's, it's really fascinating how many people have been driven as you said, from inside North Carolina and from out to these historic sites that are either a passing mention or like Alamance are huge parts of the story. I, I think a lot of people that we've had on, on the podcast so far, these site managers and these historians are, are really grateful that Outlander is getting people interested in history in a way that they just have not been before. And whether it's in Scotland or North Carolina, I think that's always a good thing. I, I, I do too. I, I Look, I'm a history buff. I would spend all my days driving around the United States, going to all these historical sites, if uh, someone would allow me to do that. I don't know if I can talk anybody into letting me do it. But, and, and that was, you know, I'm not going to say uh, that uh, my trip there was all work because I enjoyed being there in North Carolina so much. I thought that, once again, the beauty of the it's just striking. And I think we get lost in, you know, the cities sometimes we get lost in our day to days and a short journey outside any one of the cities in, in Scotland and or North Carolina. And you could be in some of the most fantastic scenery um, that, that, you know, I was in uh, Asheville, which is a stunning uh, uh, place on its own, but just 30 minutes outside Asheville and you feel like you're in a different world. And that's where, you know, obviously where Claire and Jamie built the ridge the fictional ridge and you just go, wow, my God, this is such a short little trip. These, the day trips, you know, like I live in Los Angeles and it takes quite a while to get to a place that's outside of the city. And um, I, I always uh, envy the places where you can do that. And I think that North Carolina and Scotland are those places. You know, as we look towards the rest of season six, and and obviously I'm sure you all are brainstorming and getting ready for season seven. Is there anything as a history buff from North Carolina's history and from these books 
that you're just really itching to finally do? I mean, whether it's a battle or just an intimate moment, I mean, is there anything here that North Carolina history fans uh, can look forward to? Wow. You know, I, I think what I'm really proud of is the way we took Wilmington, the way we built actually, you know, the new world in Scotland. And what I, what I like about it is the visual of what that looks like. You know, I, I think we all kind of have that new England version of, of the, the, the new world and, and, and the colonies. And I think that people forget that there were 13 colonies and, and one of them, you know, being North Carolina and what it looked like and what it felt like. I was really excited to show, um, Tryon's uh, palace in New Bern. We decided not to go there. Um, Story-wise, it was just building a whole new, uh, a whole new place. And and I, I when we when that was on in the works, um, I was really excited about that. We didn't get a chance to do it. That's something we didn't get a chance to do. So I'm sorry. But as we go, I think you know the the, the we're, we're planning some stuff. I don't want to be a spoiler. You know, it's some of the spoiler stuff, but. Where there's going to be some ships and there's going to be some estuaries and there's going to be, you know, really cool stuff with how the the genesis of the revolution happened in North Carolina and how it affected the people there and what they felt like. And I think that's important to to kind of get out as well, because every colony had an individual sense and feeling about what they should do in the revolution. And it was completely you know, divided. And, um, and so I'm excited with that, but it's just so much, I, I, I can't spoil. There's so many stories. I could, I could, if we want to do this again, um, and season seven, I, it'd be, I can spoil some things then, but, um, I, I have it at the tip of my tongue and I know that publicity will uh, cut that out of the tape anyway. So I won't, I won't force you to spoil anything. Um, and yeah, I'll hold you to doing it. We'll do it again in season seven. Um, as someone who works uh, with a, a, a colonial home, Willington's oldest home that sits right there on Market Street, uh, and you open your, your fourth season there on the streets of Wilmington, having built it in Scotland, it, it's really, really interesting to see that world that they're walking into that would have been the world here and, and to see it just kind of grow from there across the state has been really fun as a, as a native North Carolinian. Yeah, let me ask you. I have my turn. Let me ask you a question. Okay. How do you how do you feel Outlander has you know portrayed North Carolina over the last you know two full seasons and now moving into its third? I think it's been great. You know, like I said, the the Wilmington part. It was you know Wilmington was such a interesting port city, and it was such a, a valuable entry point for so many Scottish Highlanders. But then they kind of fan out across the state. So. I personally grew up in the heart of the state around the Charlotte area. And so mm -hmm. I would go to the mountains. And so I've seen the mountains my entire life. And you really do feel that, you know, that kind of enclave where Fraser's Ridge is, it's got a lot of character to it. It feels like something I would have seen on a trip to Asheville or Boone or something like that. Sure, and, sure, yeah. and then throwing in the, the stock photos of the Blue Ridge Mountains is an all, also a nice reminder of, of the real thing. And so yeah. uh, it's a nice balance. And, and again, I think it just really gives this state in such a such a really interesting way some character historically you know in north carolina because it's the south a lot of the conversation is often about the civil war and to talk about the colonial period and the revolutionary war and to show it 
in a far more primitive state where you had more of those spaces where you could go, to, you know, 10 miles out of town and you're in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, that is really exciting. And I think it just shines a light on the uh, on the on just a different era in North Carolina's history. And, and that's why, you know, we wanted to talk about it because it's such a, a fascinating point to bring people into the conversation about North Carolina's history at this time. Yeah, no, it's very, very true in the sense that when you talk about just, you know, across the nation, this is a generalization, obviously, but you don't really hear about uh, North Carolina or South Carolina, you know, or, or very much when you talk about the revolution, you talk about, you know, Virginia and, and, and the city in Philadelphia and New York and Boston. And, and it's all seems like it all took place up there. And people forget that there was a lot of things happening in the South. I mean, one of the big port city, you know, uh, the, the way the Gulf Stream work and the ships came in that the first place they hit would be Charleston or Wilmington or and 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 reload and unload. And so a lot was going on in that area. And, and, and I think that the more that we can talk about that on the show, what we like to do on the show is give the accurate as accurate as we possibly can be details in scenes and storylines, because that is the richness to the show and then it feels real at that point and i think that's really important so the more we know about what's going on in north carolina during the revolution the better for the stories absolutely and i think it's it does allow people something to latch on to and then visit here whether it's down the street from where they live or if they're going to take a trip and so uh i'm excited to see what you all do with north carolina for the rest of season six and in season seven Hopefully I'll talk to you then. And thank you so much, Matt, for your time. Thanks for having me, Hunter. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Bergwin Wright Presents Outlander in the Cape Fear. And a special thank you to Matthew and the team at Stars for helping us put together this special episode. Join us next week when we will take a trip to Newburn to get to know the real royal governor, William Tryon, the man who opened the door to North Carolina for the Frasers, even though it came at a steep price. We'll also explore Tryon Palace, the grand residence he built for himself that became a linchpin for unrest in the colony. Until then, be sure to subscribe to this podcast by searching Bergwin Wright Presents on your favorite podcast platform so you never miss an episode. And leave us a review, which will help more people find the show. Be sure to also follow Bergwin Wright House and Gardens on all social media platforms, including Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok, for the latest on what we're doing here at the site. This podcast and all the exciting projects we do at the Bergwin Wright House are made possible by donations and community support please consider donating to our mission to further education and preservation of Wilmington's oldest historic site by donating at the link in each episode's description or on our website at bergwinwrighthouse.com donate and the number one. Thank you so much for supporting us. This podcast was produced, edited, and hosted by me, Hunter Ingram. We would like to thank Rachel Ross for our cover art design and the National Society of the Colonial Dames of America in the state of North Carolina for their support. I'll see you next time on Bergwin Wright Presents Outlander in the Cape Fear.
The Durable Restoration Company is a proud sponsor of Berguin Wright Presents. At Durable Restoration, they specialize in exterior historic restoration services. All of their craftspeople and artisans are employees and trained in-house using traditional materials, tools, and techniques that are tried and true. They have a long list of historic landmarks across the nation that they are proud to have helped preserve for future generations. For all your upcoming restoration needs, contact Durable Restoration at durablerestoration.com or call toll free at 1-877-340-9182.